You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. further ado, let's get into the Word of God this morning. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. So if you're looking in your Bible, if you are opening it up, you will realize that we are almost done with the book of Philippians. Like, such a bittersweet thing. We've been in here for about six months, and it's been amazing. And next week will be our final week in the book of Philippians. And uh, I'm going to, like, tease you for another week or two to tell you what we're doing next. But um, we're starting another book after Easter, I will say that. But we are super excited for that. And it will be in the Old Testament. Going OT. So anyway, there you go. Uh, anyway, but we're not there yet. We are in the book of Philippians, verses four through four, uh, 14 through 20. Chapter 4 of Philippians is our text today. And we're going to be looking at the radical generosity in the church in Philippi. So why don't you read with me verses 14 through 20, and then we'll pray. Paul speaking, he says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible promise in your word today that as we give out of sacrifice, out of of sacrificial giving, you say that you will supply our every need. If there's one thing we would ask today is more faith to trust and walk in that promise that our God, the God that provides, Jehovah Jireh, would provide our every need. Especially when we give out of, not of a place of abundance, but a place of sacrifice. So God, would you do that work in us? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, minister these truths deep into our heart. Change us. We pray that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the character of God, the work of God in us would penetrate deep into our time, our talent, and specifically our treasure, our money. We surrender this all to you. We surrender our lives to you and say, God, have your way with us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context of what's happening. If you've been with us, this is a letter written by Paul in prison to the church in Philippi, a church that he helped start some 10, 15 years earlier. And what he's been doing is he's been talking about contentment, joy in the midst of trials. And so in verse 14 this morning, he, he, he continues that thought when he says, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. The idea here is it's grown them. 
They become more like Christ. They've been refined and sanctified, and they've had to die to themselves. It's been uncomfortable, but trials and persecution and suffering has, has made them more like Christ. And so Paul is saying, it's been good for you to suffer. It's been good for you to go through these trials with me. And then what Paul does as he's ending his letter, this, this letter of thanksgiving, this letter of exhortation and encouragement to this church that he loves so much, he talks about how they've given to him and how thankful he is that they've done this. And so verse 15 and 16, uh, he says here that moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me uh, aid more than once when I was in need. Okay, so when he's talking about the early days, these days of the acquaintance with the gospel, he's referring to his, his pioneering missionary efforts in Europe. If you remember... Philippi, the church in Philippi that he's writing this letter, is the first Christian church in Europe. Paul's left the Middle East by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's led him to Macedonia, and he started the church in Philippi. This is the first church in Europe. And he's referring, when he says back to the, to the early days, he's referring to Acts chapter 16, when the church in Philippi was birthed. And he's saying here, when this was happening, when I was moving from Philippi and through, you know, Greece and Europe and on my way to Rome through the missionary journeys, no other church shared in the giving and receiving but you only. Remember, Paul, uh, primarily, he was, you know, uh, bivocational. He worked as a, a, as a tent maker a bit. But primarily, his support came from Christians and churches. And what he's making the point of here is that in that time when the gospel was first coming into Europe, I mean, this is incredible history, right? The gospel first coming to Europe, the only church that supported Paul, the apostle Paul, this church planner, was the church in Philippi. And he says he especially remembers them as he was establishing the church in Thessalonica, right? First and second Thessalonians, the letters he wrote to this church. But Paul's support mainly, or, or primarily, was by churches, but he also labored with his hands. He did that. But it was primarily by the contributions of the church in Philippi. It isn't even noted that, that the church in Thessalonica contributed at all. It's just this little church, this little church plant, first church in Europe, was, was Paul's primary source of income. And so what he does here is he speaks of this generosity. And he, makes, he, he ends this letter speaking of this. This is a point that he wants us to get and them to get also. And so verse 17 and 18, he, he, he speaks a little bit more into it. He says, not that I desire your gifts, but I desire that it's more credited to your account. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. If you remember, in chapter 2, we talked about this guy, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a part of the church in Philippi, and his sole mission was to bring money and things and gifts and encouragement to Paul in Rome. I mean, it would have taken months to get there, but he's there, and he's been a huge encouragement to Paul, um, but primarily, he's been a messenger. He's just the guy that got called to send the money. And he's been there with Paul. And what Paul is saying here 
is he's, he's, he's not saying, you know, the gift, I'm thankful for it, but it's not really the gift that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for your heart in the matter. And he's thankful, and what he wants to see is he wants to see fruit abound to their account. See, Paul wasn't so much interested in the actual gift on his behalf that he received, but in the fruit that abounds to the Philippians' account. See, their giving increased the fruit in their account before God. Like literally, God was pleased, what we're going to see here, with their giving. When we sacrificially give to the furthering of God's kingdom, he's pleased with it. And godly giving actually does more for the giver than the one who receives. So opposite many times when we think giving as a sacrifice, we have less now, the other person has more, and we're left out to dry. But in God's economy, that is not the case, which we'll see in a second, that it's actually better to give than to receive. And it's not the actual gift that's put into Paul's hands which has brought him joy. It's needed, but again, Paul, we just learned last week, He's learned the secret of contentment. He's okay without, it's not, again, it's, it's not that he's not thankful, but he's trying to make a deeper point here. It's not that the gift brought him joy, but the giving and the meaning of that giving. And the truest index of the reality of the work of Christ in us is when the gospel confronts us with money. If you're aware of how the world works and even in our own hearts, the last thing many times to be sanctified or to be given to the Lord is our bank account. We'll give time, we'll give resources, we'll go to church, we'll, we'll stop sinning, we'll stop going there, we'll, we'll treat people kind, but the last thing in many cases is it comes to our finances. And so the fact that this church, this little church in Philippi has been consistently giving to the furthering of God's kingdom throughout Europe, Paul's making a real point of it. And for him, it's a real win. He's like, the gospel has penetrated your hearts when it's come to money. And for Paul, the reason why he's joyful is because he feels like it's a true tell of what the gospel has done in their lives. God's work in the heart of the Philippian church. Again, that's one of the truest tests, tests of the gospel in our lives when it changes the way we view money, and especially how and when and how much we give it away. It's a true test of the gospel transforming us against everything that the world would say to do. Everything our selfish nature would be like, I need to save more and not give more and get more and protect myself. God's like, it's better to give than receive. And what's neat about this is that the church in Philippi were not wealthy. Like, they didn't have abundance. It cost them to give. It was a sacrifice. But they were willing to give it unto God for the furthering of his kingdom. And it literally says that their sacrifice was pleasing to God. Look at, look at the, the wordage there, the verbiage. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul described the gift of the Philippians in terms that remind us of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Genesis and Exodus. Genesis 8, Exodus 29. Our giving of God to God's work is similar to the Old Testament sacrifices, which also cost the person bringing that sacrifice a lot. 
Bulls and rams and doves did not come cheaply in that day. It was an act of worship. When you, when you brought sacrifices to the temple or the tabernacle to God as an act of worship, it was costly. That was the point. It, it, it cost, cost much, but God was worth it. He was more valuable than anything that we had. And so worship became an act of sacrifice. And Paul here, speaking to the Philippians, is reminding them that in the same way, generations before, what God has always done is giving has been pleasing to God, but it's also been a sacrifice, an act of worship. And for the Philippians, this was true. It cost them to give. It was a sacrifice. They didn't have abundance. It wasn't just like a rich church that just had extra money to spare. So Paul, no problem. Send him what we got extra. It cost them to do this. And it cost them to do this year after year to support Paul in this way. What's so neat is that Jesus, what he did on the cross, was also referred to in the same terminology in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, encourages them to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because here's the deal. Christian giving is rooted in the Father giving his Son for humanity. That is our example the Father gave the world what was absolutely must, most dear to him. That while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies to God, God said, I love you enough that I'm willing to send my only begotten son to die as a living sacrifice for your sin. Christian giving is rooted in the Father giving his son for humanity. See, giving shouldn't be only from a place of abundance, but it may be, and it sometimes senses, it should be a sacrifice. Modeling after what God did through Christ upon the cross. And our sacrifices, when we give for the furthering of God's kingdom, are always pleasing to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. It's not just giving to God because he gave to us. It's not like, God, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It's not out of obligation. It shouldn't be. Paul speaks to that to the Corinthians. It should be cheerfully giving unto God because he gave his life for us. And then Paul even flips it more. He says our giving, it may cost us. But God gave everything, so that's okay. But then he goes into verse 19 and 20, and he says, when you give, when it hurts to give to others in need, don't worry, don't fret, verse 19, because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says here, I love how personal he makes it, because it's, it's, it's their God also. Like, they're Christians, they believe in this, the same God he's talking about. But he makes it very personal. He says, my God will supply all your needs. And he's doing this because up to this point, God has never failed Paul. Through all that Paul had gone through, all the imprisonments and the shipwrecks and the, and the, and the, and the, and the torture and like, 
people betraying him and chasing him and like he was an outcast by most of society. At the end of his life, he would get to the end of his life and my God never failed. My God never let me down. His promises were yes and amen. And so Paul is coming from a very personal place here and saying, my God, that's tested. I've tested. I've tested his promises. My God will supply all your needs according to all his riches. Again, the Philippians were not wealthy benefactors of Paul that had money to spare. Paul described them in 2 Corinthians 8. He described their giving as sacrificial. And so this promise meant something to them. Right? If they were really wealthy and it was just giving out of abundance, when Paul said, oh, thanks for giving, God will supply all your needs, they would have been like, I'm good. I don't have needs. I got all the money. I got all the time. But they were a church that needed much but gave much. So Paul's promise was powerful to them, and it should be powerful to us. Charles Spurgeon, uh, Prince of Preachers, says this uh, in commenting on this right here. Paul says to them, You have helped me, but my God shall supply you. You have helped me in one of my needs, my need of clothing and of food. I have other needs in which you could not help me, but my God shall supply all your need. You have helped me, some of you, out of your deep poverty, taking from your scanty store, but my God shall supply all your need out of his riches in glory. God meets our needs when we give. This is what he's saying to the Philippian church, and this is what the word of God is saying to us this morning, that God will supply us what we need when we feel like we've just given and now we're in lack. There's multiple biblical examples of this. But as the Philippians gave themselves practically, his pr- the promise here is that God out of his riches would provide their own needs. Malachi 3, 10 and 12. This is like the go-to verse for like tithing and giving in church. But there's a promise and it's the time that God says, test me in it. You don't believe me, test me. He says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, and I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail, uh, excuse me, fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, and your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God says, when you give sacrificially, I will bless you, and I will give you more than you even had before. This is the promise that God says, test me. Test me in this. You don't believe me. Trust me and test me in this. Give. Give to my people that are in need. Give to the furthering of the kingdom. And out of my riches, I will provide for you. This is God's economics. This does not make sense. This takes a lot of trust. But this is the promise that we have. And as we give, God will not leave us hanging or out to dry. There's a different There's a difference between God meeting our wants and God meeting our needs. Let me, a lot of people 
use this verse out of context to say, God will meet everything that I've ever wanted. That's not what it says. In conjunction, it's actually Paul in prison speaking of like bare minimum clothing and food and shelter. But if we really think about it, that's all we need, our God and those things. And what happens here is Paul is saying out of the riches of God's glory that as we give and as we give sacrificially, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, God will never leave us hanging. He will never leave us without. This is a hard concept to model and to actually do. It's one thing to be here on a Sunday morning and talk about it and read Malachi and go, yes, when I give, you're going to give me more, God. But until we actually do, and it hurts, is when we really see God come through. So I don't know if any of you guys in your Christian walk, you've started doing this, you have, uh, you have tef- testimonies of this, I'm sure you do. But one of the first times I remember being blown away on this was actually when Zoe and I were engaged. Uh, we were young, no money. Uh, not money now either, but no money, and young, and you know, I was a youth pastor making, like working 60 hours a week, making like 1250 bucks a month, um, just no money, uh, but we were loving each other, and we were getting ready to be married, right, and so it costs a lot of money to get married, so we're selling off stuff, I'm like selling all, just anything I had, selling it, just try to get money. And it was a couple weeks before the wedding, a lot of expenses that needed to happen, and there was a friend of ours that just came into a really hard financial situation, and um, I didn't have much money, and she needed a lot of money, kind of, to just help her. And I just was so compelled in that moment, a couple weeks before our wedding, to give her what she needed. And it was, if, if anybody else, if I had asked anyone, they would have been like, unwise, don't do it. What are you doing? But I did it. And uh, for a little bit, it was like, okay, now I don't know what we're going to do now. I have nothing else to sell. But then, like days, weeks before the wedding, God just miraculously provided stuff that we totally needed, that we were like looking like we were out. But in that moment, I knew that I had put God to the test. God, there was a need. You give me resources. This I can, I, can, I can do this right now. Yeah, it hurts. It's a sacrifice. Actually, it's not going to work. Bills aren't going to get paid. But God, I believe your word. I'm not saying that I'm amazing and have a lot of faith because I still struggle with this, but it was the first time ever where I saw God come and he provided way more than I gave in way different, different ways that I never would have expected. But I saw this come to pass, that God came through and provided when I stepped out in faith and gave. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to we have to know that nothing that we have is ours. It's not. I know what you're thinking. No, I worked for it. I made hard. I put the hours in. Yeah, but God gave you the resources. God gives you the breath of life. He gives you the skills. He's given everything you have, and ultimately, it's God's money. It's all God's. We are just to steward, steward it. We're not the owners. God's the owners of it. We are to be stewards of the resources that God has given us. 
And at the core of what Paul is getting to and what Scripture would tell us is that we as a people are to be generous because God is generous. At the core, we shouldn't just give because we're supposed to or like that's the Christian thing or like I heard a sermon about it so I should give to people. We should be generous because our God is generous. He's generous in his mercy and his grace and his gifts and his blessings. And we're image bearers. We bear the image of God. We are to be like him. And so if God's generous, we're to be generous. And again, you know God is going deep when our heart begins to change on the way and what we do with our money. When we really walk in stewardship versus ownership. Right When we really grasp that we're just supposed to be responsible stewards of what God's given us. When we trust God rather than try to control our own life. Right When we trust God that he'll provide our every need instead of just controlling our bank account and our, fun, and, and our, and our finances and our stocks and our portfolio and mine, 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 mine empire, my kingdom. Again, there is nothing wrong with being wise and saving and retirement. There's, that's good and right, and that's, those are biblical principles also. But at the end of the day, we're stewards and not owners. We should trust God and not control. What Paul does here is he boasts. He's boasting in the Philippians' giving, the ability that they've done this. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, Paul boasts in how the Philippians are an example of the right kind of giving. He describes how they give willingly out of their own, out of their own need, and they gave first having given themselves to the Lord. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, speaking of the church in Philippi. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, Philippians being one of that. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Stop there. That doesn't normally happen. That's the Holy Spirit at work in a people. That in extreme poverty, a people can be richly generous. For I testify that they, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Why did they do it? Do you, did you see that in verse 4? They did it because it was a privilege to share in the service of the Lord's people. Look at their hearts. They wanted to be involved with what God was doing. They wanted to support God's kingdom going forth. They wanted to, to be the church. They didn't want there to be needs inside the church, and so they gave and gave and gave. And anytime we give towards God's work, it's a tangible way we partner with Christ to see God's kingdom go into the world. Like it's a very practical way to see great spiritual fruit. And if you didn't know, this is how every church, every mission organization, every nonprofit works through people giving what God has given them. Like, this is how it works. There is not one church anywhere on the earth that isn't because of the people of God giving to the work of God. 
God gives resources to us so that we, in part, can give it towards the kingdom being furthered. God uses us to do it corporately. Like we're all a piece of it. We're all part of the body. And if you think about it, the only way that Paul's ministry went forth was the generosity of the Philippian church. This little church, this little church was radically generous and it fueled the church into Europe. It fueled the spread of the gospel into the entire world because one church, one church said, I will give radically, not out of abundance, but as a sweet-smelling aroma to my God that costs. Think of that. Like the fruit of Paul's ministry in Europe is due in large part to the Philippian church. It's radical. And if there's anything I could hope and pray for, for us as a local expression of God's church, is that we would be marked by sacrificial love and radical generosity. Like, like that we would be known by like, this church is, how are they giving so much? How are they literally giving so much to the poor and the needy and the abused and God, seeing God's work all over the world? How are they doing this? I want to be marked by radical generosity, that we're radically willing to meet needs and give towards God's kingdom going forth. That we'd be marked by that. Radically giving, not out of abundance, but out of a sacrifice. And don't get me wrong, for like a church plant, you guys are like so incredibly generous and giving. Like the, the elders, the board, and I are so extremely grateful and thankful for the work of God in your hearts that has led you to give towards his kingdom being furthered. Like, thank you. It's incredible. And right now, how it works is that the Reality Family, like uh, Reality Carp, Santa Barbara, Ventura, L.A., San Francisco, Stockton, Boston. We have some Boston in the house. Where are they? God bless you. Um, and London is doing what, the, what Philippi did for us. Like we are partially on donations and we are partially being funded by the reality family of churches. We're still partially on the support and we got a ways to go to become self-sustaining but we're hopeful that this will continue so that we will become a church that can then turn around and go, okay, God, where would you have us sow into? What churches can we help plant? What missions can we help support? Like, we want to be radically generous because God has radically been generous to us. My, this is not my main purpose to talk about money in the church. The, our tithe and how it works, that is not my main purpose. My main purpose on the heels of last week is to have a grand view of our God and a deep, very real trust on our God's abilities to provide our every need as we give. And my desire is to see God use us to affect real significant change in Hawaii and in the world by the way in which we give. Like to model to the world what Christ modeled to us upon the cross. That's my hope. That's my desire. Yeah, there's a tangible way we can do it here. But the point is, is that we would be a people like the church in Philippi that were so about God's business and we had such a grand view of our God that we were totally cool with giving when it hurt. 
because we knew God would always provide our every need. And that's where I want to end today. I want to come back to the promise that when we give to God, he's honored and he meets our needs. Like we cannot outgive God. Cannot do it. Can't give too much. You can't because God will give you out of his riches that much more. We have to remember that he is a good father that is leading us into generosity. And he's led that way. He's modeled it. You know, just as a father would model a virtue or a practice to his son or daughter. Our God has done the most generous thing that anyone in the universe could do by sending his son to die for us. And we, as his kids, as image bearers, are to model generosity and meet the needs of those around us because our God led the way in it. I want to end with a section of scripture from one of my favorite sections is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus gave the, his, the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus in, in the scripture. And it's Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and uh, it's talking about God providing our needs. It says this, for this reason I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so closes the the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows knows that you need all these things. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Church, let's test God when it comes to generosity. He says to, let's be generous knowing that he will, he knows our needs, and out of his riches will provide for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we admit that this, is, this can be really hard. It's hard for our hearts. Maybe we struggle with the things of the world or what we have. But God, we want to remind us, we want you to remind us that our life is no longer our own. It's hidden with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. God, Would you do that deep heart work where we value and treasure and see you as the God that provides, Jehovah Jireh, the the Lord that provides and is able to provide our every need. But God, would you make us a people that are radically generous, that, that we give when it doesn't make sense, we give when it hurts. 
We want to be a people that are like you, that are generous, that are, that are loving, that are rich in generosity. And so, Lord, we give you our lives and our church and who we are and say, have your way with us. You're worth it. It's all yours anyway. Would you give us a right understanding of, of money and time and resources, all the things you've given us. Help us to steward them well for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, we want to be a church that, that, that we're used to see your kingdom go forth where the gospel hasn't ever gone forth. There are so many people around us that don't know you. There's many countries and nations and people groups that have not yet heard the name of Jesus. We ask that we would be a church that is radically committed and generous to the furthering of your kingdom in these places to these people. God, as we transition into worship now, we do pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth for who you are and what you've done pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.